that tells us what we've been singing about is true. We have a biblical basis for believing that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. When you have bills, it uh, matters whether your bank account is empty or has funds in it. When you're hungry, it matters whether your plate is empty or has food on it. When you need to drive somewhere, it matters whether your fuel tank is empty or has gas in it. And when you are a sinner, which we all are, it matters immensely whether the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty or still has his dead body inside of it. The condition of the tomb of Jesus, far more important than the condition of our bank account, our plates, our fuel tanks. One of the most important facts of which I am fully convinced is that the tomb of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, and Lord, is empty. Jesus Christ is alive, proving that he is indeed Messiah, Savior, and God. Anybody can make claims, but Jesus backs up those claims with his own resurrection from the dead. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and take a look at three factors related to the empty tomb of Jesus. We're going to start reading this morning at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth who are developing some errant teachings about the resurrection. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace, the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not vain. But I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, so you believe. But now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if indeed the dead do not rise. Or if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most 
pitiable. And I'm so thankful for verse 20, where it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Three areas of consideration this morning. First of all, the consequences that are spelled out in this passage if the tomb of Jesus is not empty. And then the certainty that we can have that the tomb is indeed empty. And finally, the confidence that we can have because the tomb of Jesus is empty. First of all, when it comes to the consequences, we find that the first thing Paul states is that the preaching of the gospel is, is empty of truth. When we think about the gospel, we, we think about what the, the gospel claims. It claims that Jesus died for our sins according to the, the scriptures and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And because he died, it's possible for our sins to be forgiven. And if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, none of this is true. Well, when he died on that cross, he took our place, died for our sins so that we don't have to experience the punishment of God which he took upon himself. But, but if Christ didn't rise from the dead, that God, there is no gospel. There is no good news. Paul and, and what he had to say and, and preach in the gospel was, was a false witness. He was a liar. He was telling people they could be forgiven by God for the wrongs that they've done. And, and if Christ isn't risen, that's not true. In fact, he says not only was he a, was, was he a false witness, was he a liar, I'm a liar. Because I tell you all the time that Jesus died for you. God loves you so much he gave his only begotten son that if you'll believe in him, you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. And if Christ didn't rise to the dead, I'm lying to you. I, I bend over backwards, folks, to, to try to make sure I never tell you anything that's wrong. I study each week and study uh, all the time to, to try to make sure that the, what I'm giving you as I stand before you is truth. I never want to have to stand before God and explain how I lied to a whole lot of people. But, but if, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, and, and I tell you that he is, and I tell you there is good news, I'm lying to you. And anybody else who preaches the gospel, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, very sadly, there is no good news relating to forgiveness from our sins and deliverance from hell. We are doomed with no hope at all if Christ isn't risen from the dead. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, then, then our faith in Christ is empty of substance. Paul talks about preaching, and then he talks about faith. We're called upon to respond to the gospel with, with faith. It's offered to us in God's grace. By grace, we're saved through faith. We're called upon to put our trust in, in, in God's representative, God himself, the Lord Jesus. We're, we're called upon to put our faith in the provision that, that Christ has made in dying on that cross for us. And if he's not risen from the dead, then our faith in him is futile. Uh, the penalty that he paid wasn't really paid. Uh, our, our belief that, that God's wrath was poured out on him instead of us, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't connect. We, we find that his resurrection, though, proves that he is really the God-man, and he claimed to be, and that his sacrifice that he paid was really accepted. But if he didn't rise, we have no reason to believe that Jesus is God. 
We have no reason to believe that Jesus is God any more than some crazy person locked up in an asylum that walks around telling people that he is God. Sometimes people do that. What's the difference between them and Jesus? One big difference, Jesus died, he rose again. But, but if he didn't rise, if he didn't rise, then your faith in Christ is empty. There, there, there's no substance to it. Faith is only as good as the object of our faith. You know, you can, you can believe something, but you can believe something absolutely wrong. You can believe you can get to Saginaw by driving east from here. You can't, unless you go clear around the world. You can believe if you got a bad case of indigestion, if you ate too much at breakfast a little while ago, that if you just take a drink of sulfuric acid, that'll take care of it. You can believe that very sincerely. Guess what? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So our faith is only as good as what or whom you are trusting in. And if Christ isn't risen from the dead and we're trusting in him as he called upon us to do, then our faith has no substance. I don't know about you, but, but when I exercise faith, I want it to be in something solid. I want, to, I want my faith to be in something real. If I believe something's true, I want it to, I want it to be true. And, but if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith in him has no substance to it whatsoever. Faith in a dead Jesus is a dead faith. It counts for nothing. It's not just a nebulous faith with, 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 uh, that's not attached to anything that gets people into heaven, but rather it's a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Son who died on that cross in our place that brings us eternal life. Thirdly, we find that that hope concerning believers who have died is empty of reality. Spelled out here in verse 18. He says, then those also, if Christ didn't rise, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ. Let's talk about believers that have died. They've perished. Death is tough, isn't it? When anybody dies, that's hard. We lose somebody that we love. Uh, that, that's a tough thing to experience. It really is. Uh, even for when that person's a believer and we know they're in heaven with the Lord, still death is a, a painful thing. But just imagine death with no hope. And that's what Paul's proposing here as far as no hope and, and the sad reality of death. Our hope concerning believing loved ones uh, who have died is that their soul has gone to be with the Lord. Over the last several years, I've had to say goodbye to my mother, my father, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and, and too many folks from our body of believers here. But uh, my, my hope is in the fact that, you know, uh, even though they're taken from, from us and, and we can't talk to them, we can't see them, the soul moved out of their body and went to be present with the Lord in, in, in glory. And their soul is there. That's our hope, right? Well, what a great hope that is. And we also have a hope concerning their body. And the body doesn't go to heaven right away. We're, we're left behind. We're left with the body here with us. And we, we take that body and we, we bury that in, in the ground. But we also have a hope concerning that body. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, One of these days Christ is going to come back, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's our hope. 
Well, when somebody we love dies, their soul's with the Lord. And even that, that body that many times we see racked with disease or injury or whatever, that body's going to be raised again, a glorified resurrection body. But I got, I got something bad for you to consider here. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, all those loved ones that you've got this wonderful hope for, they perished. They perished. The soul's not in heaven with the Lord. The body's not going to be raised again incorruptible. In fact, in the sense of perish, that's also the idea of being in an eternal hell separated from God forever and ever and ever. What a prospect. What a prospect. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, those who believing loved ones, those who sleep in Jesus, they've perished. Soul's not with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord is not true. Body rising again is not true. That's only if Jesus did not rise again from the grave. If he's still dead and in the tomb, the fact of the matter is, I don't want to preach any more funerals. In fact, I, I, I don't want to try to comfort anybody when they've lost a loved one. Because, folks, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead flat out, there is no comfort in the face of death if Christ is still in that tomb. It makes all the difference in the world that he rose again to a glorified resurrection body, and, and folks, that solidifies our hope for our loved ones that have gone on and left this world before us. In fact, when it, when it comes to it, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then all hope, all hope, not just concerning heaven, not just concerning loved ones that have died, but all hope is empty, completely empty of, of value. In fact, that's what it says in verse 19. Well, what, what, a, what a depressing verse. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. A couple senses in which that's true. If, if the only thing we're going to look at about Jesus is what he did in this life. And there are some people that say, you know, that's what's important. Jesus came into the world just to set a good example for us, an example to follow. You know, he, he was sacrificial, and he was loving, and he was kind, and he did things for others, and he even suffered while he was here and, and did so for other people. And, and he sets a wonderful example for us in the way that we should live our lives. So we just ought to model our lives after Jesus. And that's what Christianity is all about, just modeling your life after Jesus. I want to be careful how I say this. I don't want to be disrespectful to our Lord. But quite honestly, if Christianity is just about modeling my life after Jesus, there's not much to that, folks. That's not what Christianity is about. It's a whole lot more than that. You see, he didn't just come to, to model our lives or give us a model for our lives. While we were down in Florida, I heard of a church down there. I'm going to go and tell you what it is. Sun Coast, the Gulf Coast Bible Church. pastor there circulated a letter in the congregation that said that he didn't believe Jesus really died for people's sins. Now, that's not what it was about, Jesus dying for people's sins. It was about the life that he lived 
the example that he set. You know, that is totally unbiblical. Totally unbiblical. You see, it's not just about what Jesus did in his life. And he lived a perfect life. And he did set a good example. And he did set a model for us. And we ought to follow his model. He did things like, like raising the dead, feeding the multitudes, walking on the water. But, but all that is leading up to the fact that he died on that cross for our sins. That's the most important thing. He died for our sins and to prove that his sacrifice was accepted and he really is God the Son. What happened on the third day? He rose. He rose. That's what it's about. And if he didn't rise, he didn't rise on the third day. All of our hope is vain and people ought to pity us. You know, because we're believing a lie. I'll tell you what, I, I've I'm staking everything in my life upon the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I have absolutely devoted my life to that, that truth. Uh, that, that's what I'm trusting in for eternity. I'm uh, holding nothing back. Hold no, and if, if he didn't rise from the dead, you see a great big fool up here in front of you this morning. Wasting my time today, wasting my breath, and wasting my life. Because I'm talking to you about something that never happened. But I'm certainly thankful that verse 19 is followed by verse 20. It suggests if in this life only you and I have hope in Christ, we should be pitied. We're of all people most to be pitied. But verse 20 zeroes in and said, but. I'm glad for the word but some places in Scripture, aren't you? But, but. Now Christ is risen from the dead. And, and he's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is risen from the dead. And that has a whole lot of effect for all of us. First fruits indicated there was more to come when harvest time came. And his resurrection indicates there's more to come when it comes to us, loved ones that have gone on before that know Christ, they're going to be raised again. If we have to experience death ourselves down here and they bury our body in the ground, one day we'll be raised again. Actually, I'm kind of hoping for the rapture. You know, when we go one at a time, that's a little painful, isn't it? If we could all go at once, wouldn't that be glorious? That'd be glorious, wouldn't it? But we, we, we find that there are some, some terrible consequences to consider if Christ did not rise from the dead. But I'm certainly glad I can stand before you this morning and say that we can be absolutely certain that the tomb of Jesus is empty, that he did rise from the dead. We have that from the testimony in Scripture. It starts out in the, the early part of this chapter, and it tells us what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, even as exemplified by, by Jonah coming out of the belly of that fish the third day. Uh, well, we find the Old Testament scriptures prophesy the death and resurrection of Christ. It's pictured in the Old Testament. It's described in the Gospels. You pick, pick your Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all tell us about the resurrection of Christ. They all get to, they, they don't end with the death of Christ because that's not the end of the story. They all go on to the resurrection. 
we find as you go over to the rest of the New Testament, as you read the different sermons in the book of Acts, the basis of every sermon preached in the book of Acts by Peter, by Paul, by any of the apostles, the basis of it all is the fact that Christ is risen from the dead. It's the resurrection. The apostles were to be witnesses of his resurrection. That's what they're supposed to do. We find it's referred to repeatedly in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter. You want to know uh, an awful lot about the resurrection? You spend some time with 1 Corinthians 15. Man, what a great chapter that is. The sad thing, Paul has to write it because the church was getting screwed up about, about what the resurrection was all about there in Corinth, and he's straightening them out. And the church today, many times, too many times, is messed up when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. Some will say, well, he didn't really rise bodily from the dead. I sat in the living room with a liberal preacher one time talking to him about what he believed. Uh, family wanted us to do a funeral together, and I thought I should know a little bit of what he believed before we get to doing that funeral. And so uh, I asked him a couple things. Number one, do you believe in a literal hell? And he said, no, he didn't. I said, do you believe Jesus bodily came forth from that grave on the third day? And his answer to me was, I don't believe it was important that Jesus came bodily out of the grave on the third day. I said, I didn't ask you that whether you thought it was important. I asked, do you believe that he really came bodily out of that grave on the third day? And finally he admitted he didn't believe that. This man was a preacher. He's a preacher, and he's, he's leading people astray. The, the fact of the matter is the resurrection is that Christ bodily came out of that tomb on the third day. He had a glorified resurrection body. Uh, it, it's not just that the spirit of Jesus still lives because we still think of him now bodily he came out of that grave the same body that they buried came out of that grave only in glorified form and 40 days later it ascended to glory with the promise that one day he's coming back in like manner to call us to himself man that's something great to look forward to and paul straightens him out concerning concerning the resurrection of christ he concludes the great chapter with verse 58 where he says therefore on the basis of the resurrection of jesus be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You want to leave a, live a life that's not in vain? Abound in the labor of the Lord, knowing that Christ is risen. We also have the testimony of eyewitnesses that Paul refers to. He talks about Cephas. That's Peter. You know, we don't read a lot about, we don't read about that meeting in, in the Gospels. But what a special meeting that must have been for Peter after he blew it so royally, denying the Lord three times. You know, I don't know about you, but I kind I kind of like to know what he said to Peter then. But you know what? It's none of my business. That was business done between Jesus and Peter, and I think there was a a, a reunion there, a reconnection there that took place. Over in John 21, we find Peter gets recommissioned to go on and serve the Lord and feed Christ's sheep. But what a meeting that must have been. We find also appeared to the 12. Well, actually, when he, it talks about the 12, it was, it was the remaining 11. Judas not being pictured. We'll say, well, if, it, if you're saying 12, then, 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 then shouldn't it mean 12? Well, it, that, that was a title that was used for the, the group, basically. Even though there was 11, eventually there would be Mattathias appointed and become the 12. But for a while, they, they didn't have the 12, but they were still referred to as the 12. You say, that's foolish. We would never do anything today. What about the Big Ten? Yeah. The Big Ten Athletic Con Conference. How many teams would you expect there to be in the Big Ten? 
you kind of expect 10. How many are there? I think there's 14 now. Is that right? 14 in the big. And what do we still call the conference? The big. There you go. Okay, so that's what's going on here. When it talks about the 12, actually it was the 11 remaining ones. And then later on, he appears to 500 brethren at one time, most of them still alive when, when Paul's writing this letter. You could have gone, hey, what'd you see? Tell me about it. Some had passed away, but not many of them. They were still alive when Paul was writing. And then Paul said they appeared to James. He appeared to all the apostles. And Paul got to have that special account encounter on the Damascus Road. What, 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 what a time. What a deal for Paul to get together and he gives testimony. So we find that we can be certain that the tomb of Jesus is empty. He's alive. His body's not there in that tomb. His body's not buried and moved to any other tomb. His body is his glorified resurrection body, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father right now, and one of these days he's coming back after his people. He's preparing a place for us. And he promised, if I prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there he may be also. And, and because you and I can have confidence this morning, we can have confidence that the gospel is full of truth. There really is good news concerning your sin and mine. We can be forgiven. We can have eternal life. We can be accepted into heaven one day for the Lord. He's alive and we're forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide because Christ is alive. The gospel is full, full of truth. He paid it all. What he did was sufficient, and that's the main purpose for his coming into this world was to die for us and rise again to prove that his sacrifice had been accepted. Our faith is full of substance. It's nice to believe that which is true. And because Christ is alive, our faith is in a living Savior. And our faith in Jesus is, is, is effective in bringing us the forgiveness that he offers to us in grace. What a great thing. Our, our hope, our, our faith full of substance. We have this living Savior. Our faith is effective. Our hope concerning believers that have died has basis to it. It has reality. Because Jesus is alive. We know heaven's real. He rose from the dead and made appearances for 40 days, ascended to heaven. Where did he go? He went to heaven. He went to the same place where the spirit of my dad died when he passed away. He went to the same place that the spirits of your living loved ones who know Christ, where they went when they left this world. Tremendous, tremendous comfort when we think about that. There's the reality of heaven. There's the reality of reward. There really is the prospect of hearing one day, if we live a life of faithfulness, well done, good and faithful servant. What a great thing to have reward and be able to live our, the rest of eternity to accomplish things for the Lord. There's, there's the glory and, the, and the, the reality of reunion. You know, we thump somebody dies. Uh, one of the things that brings great comfort is the idea of, of reunion. To know that they've had a reunion with Jesus in glory. You know, to know even though they're, they're not with us anymore, they're with the Lord. And also to know that one day we will have a reunion with them. And what a great thing. We get to have that reunion with the loved ones who have gone on before. 
and when we leave this world we got the prospect of having a reunion with the loved ones that we leave behind who know the Lord that's one of the reasons we want to leave a good legacy right I want my kids to know Christ I want my grandkids to know Christ you know I probably won't have the opportunity to see my grandkids reach 65 70 years old I don't know how long the Lord will leave me here but you know what I, I, I want the prospect of knowing that when I leave this world they're coming they're coming with me and that's possible and why is that possible possible because Jesus rose to the dead we can have that kind of certainty there's the reality of resurrection he becomes the first fruits later on in this chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 15 it tells us about the kind of a body that we'll have in the resurrection and it's going to be patterned after the glorified resurrection body of the Lord Jesus Christ and you know I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that in fact, one of the things I think we should picture when loved ones pass away, even if they're 80, 90 years old and they got a few wrinkles here and there, uh, that when we see them again, if they know the Lord, you know what? Those wrinkles are going to be gone. That, that, that gray hair or will, be, will be like it was. That no hair will be replenished again. You know, well, Somebody said, well, what are we going to look like? I think we'll probably look maybe like we were about 33 years old. Well, why? Well, how old was Jesus when they crucified him? You know, 33 years old, chronology-wise, as far as being the God-man. He's lived forever, but in the incarnation, he spent about 33 years in an incarnated body down here. So I think that's, how would you like to go back to 33? That wouldn't be too bad, would it? Most of us would vote for that. Some of you aren't quite there yet, but good news, 33 is not bad. You, know, you, you start getting on beyond that, and things start falling apart. But 33, that, that's pretty good. I'd take 33. But you know what? When we get that 33, good news, it'll be an eternal 33. How do you like that? That sounds great, doesn't it? Reality of that resurrection body that one day we'll have. And all of our hope in Christ is full of value because he has risen from the dead. We have a hope that goes beyond this life, an eternal hope. We have a hope of resurrection. We have a hope of victory. And by the way, I just want to be clear. When I use this word hope in connection with Christ, in connection with heaven, in connection with salvation, in connection with eternal life, there is no if in connection with that. It's not if we're going to see Jesus. It's not if believers are going to be with the Lord in heaven. It's not if we are forgiven if we put our faith in Christ. There's no if there. The only thing there, the only question mark there might be is when. When will we see Jesus? When will we be with him? Now, when's that going to take? But there is no if. The word if is used quite a bit here in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. When, when it says, if Christ is not risen, if Jesus is still dead, then all these terrible things we talked about this morning would be factual but those ifs they're not true because he is risen and because he is risen all the ifs are removed from our future if we go to heaven if Jesus is coming back uh -uh, it's when not if so we talk about hope it's not a well maybe it'll happen maybe it won't but rather it is a living certain hope that is going to happen and the only question is when that might occur what a great thing to recognize 
hope of victory. Fact of the matter, folks, Jesus is alive. And that means that the gospel is, of grace is true. It means that our hope in Jesus will never be disappointed. Our faith in Christ will never be disappointed. Our hope concerning loved ones who have died and gone to glory is solid. And uh, we find that because Christ is alive, that means that all of our hope in Christ is guaranteed to be fulfilled in more wonderful fashion that we could possibly imagine. And we got a whole lot of good in store for us in the future, basically, because he lives. We can be sure of heaven. We can be sure of reunions with loved ones gone on before. We can be sure of the forgiveness of sin. I might point out there is just one other question that comes into play. Have you responded to what Christ has done for you? You see, it doesn't happen automatically. The Bible calls upon us to come to the place in our life where we recognize that we are sinners who need a Savior and to, by an act of our will, personally put our faith in Jesus Christ to be our Savior. That doesn't happen automatically as we come to church. It doesn't happen as you join a church. It doesn't happen if you're baptized in any fashion. It happens when we do business with God, recognize that we're sinners, and put our faith in our risen Savior. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you've ever taken that step in your life to take Christ to be your Savior, I would encourage you to do it today on Resurrection Day. Man, what a day to get saved. What a day to make sure of what your relationship with God is. I call upon you to do that this morning. If you want to talk to someone, I'd be happy to talk to you. I'm happy to meet you up here in the front if you want to make your decision public this morning. I'm happy to talk to you later. Any of our pastors would do that. Uh, but we'd love to know that you have made that decision to trust Christ as your own personal Savior. And when you have, oh, what hope we have, an eternal hope we have, because Jesus lives. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we have a risen Savior. All those those negative thoughts that we, we look at here in, in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, if Jesus is not risen, the gospel is not true, our faith is in vain, we're still in our sins. God, I'm thankful. We don't even have to entertain those things because Jesus is risen. We can have all the confidence in the world as we worship you here today, as we walk out of this building this morning. Thank you, Lord. The tomb is empty. The throne in heaven is full. And one of these days, Jesus is going to get up from that throne again and come to take us to be with him forever. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who's not sure that they're ready for when the Lord returns, pray you might even draw them to yourself today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together and sing? I think it's number